This is the TFT Podcast, Theory for Turntables. I'm Matt, that's not Ryan, it's Dave. Dave. I'm Dave, I'm not Ryan. When you're through, you're through. Nobody argues the point like you, you never loved me. I'm afraid you sized me up with your thumb on the scale. I came up short, but you do what you can. The hammer's nothing without the nail. <laughs> that is a uh, that is one hell of a mixed metaphor. It is a mixed metaphor. There. Um, and it's a mixed metaphor from Amy Mann's uh, newest album, Mental Illness, which is on the Billboard 200 uh, chart. That's right. We are back from the wilds of the early 1990s, and we are back listening to. Contemporary. Are we really? We're talking about Amy Mann. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. How far have we come yeah, really, since then? Everything old is new again, or something like that. So uh, Dave is a friend of uh, of Ryan's and mine. He is an incredible music fan. Uh, also a graduate of our alma mater, and uh, both Ryan and I have been involved in many long uh, musical discussions, uh, sometimes contentious, sometimes very agreeable uh, with our friend Dave. So Dave oh, I think I think they're always contentious, even when they're agreeable. <laughs> that's the, that's the that's, point of it. Yeah, exactly. That's the fun. You know, people who grew up in healthy families, you know, families not, you know, tar, you know, scarred by the just the constant bitterness. Like, they don't understand that, like, just having, you know, saying fuck you is how we say I love you. I, mean, I don't understand how you appreciate music if you haven't grown up getting yelled that and yelling at people on you know sort of appropriate intervals. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, Amy Amy Mann. Wow, she's still a thing. She is still a thing, and and she's many things apparently. <laughs> and she did a thing with another guy that wasn't the guy you might expect, right? She's married to a guy who's still a thing, uh-huh. but she went and found this Ted Leo guy and did a thing, right? That is a pretty good thing, and it's called it's called both, right? Or the both, the I believe, both, I the both. Because in order to get the URL, you have to put some sort of an article in front of the word <laughs> and make the yeah make it Googleable. Much of the same way that churches spells their name right. with a V, right. like you you know everyone needs a uh, or you know I I guess like Flickr, right? I was, it's funny. I was thinking of seven. Uh-huh. They, they were so far ahead of their time that they actually sort of internet protected the name of that movie by putting the number seven and, and where the V should go. Yeah, it was, uh, and, and that helps. It helps that it was a good movie and not like a shitty internet startup. Right. Although or, whoever has the website seven dot com is getting a lot of traffic from confused horror movie fans. It's, right? it, I mean, you just put a porn site there and you right, make you make your money back. Whitehouse.com, right? Is that the, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the famous yeah. one, right? Um, so uh, we listened to this uh, this. Amy Mann album and um, it's uh, I mean Dave I, I I would describe your musical taste as being like a little bit different from what w- the mainstream of what we cover on the show because we tend into like uh, contemporary pop music indie pop electro pop and you are more of a uh, what roots rock contemporary singer songwriter acoustic kind of guy yeah I think my jams come from the dead and Bruce right like that's sort of where you can start a lot of uh, the lineage, the, the, the right, exactly the branches of the tree, and so the singer-songwriter and kind of hooky rock and roll, right? But I, I mean, is the authenticity of that important to you in the in the way that you you think about it? Well, it's funny. Um, in other words, as a trolling question, um, I might ask you: This Amy Mann is she for real? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think that's a, that's totally a fair. really fair question because this Bruce Springsteen. Is he for real? I mean, and was he for was real? Was he ever for real? Right. That's, that is honestly the most troubling thing. When I, when I want to sort of shake this tree at its very roots, I look at 1978 Bruce, which is held up as sort of the pinnacle of that sort of live, you know, spontaneous music, musical experience. And I think, I wonder how planned out that all was. That, how that. much of an act? Yeah. Dylan, was Dylan ever for real? Dylan, the put-on was part of the put-on. I guess so. So, Bruce, I think, was trying at this incredible... And succeeding at this incredible earnestness that I have to think was real at some point. And then it was successful. And so, he just hit repeat. Yeah. And and tried to sort of mine his own uh, success. And and as he aged... You know, recreate or at least create the legend. You know, have the legend grow based on that somehow. Look, she's definitely for real. I I think where I'm inclined to give her short shrift, I do so unfairly because you just need to look at what she has done over the course of this twenty was thirty odd years now of career, yeah, and who she's worked with. Mm -hmm. And I think you can judge a talent often by 
the the talent they attract. Sure. And she's really, I mean, the, she's attracted the best. She really has kind of worked with incredible people. That is, a, or who likes her. You know what I mean? The whole, the idea that Paul Thomas Anderson is going to make a whole movie based on kind of getting inspired by these Amy Mann songs and you end up with Magnolia, which is not a, you know, which is a bit of a sprawling mess, a bit of a shaggy sort of thing, but like is still a work of considerable accomplishment right. and like right. artistic merit. And like this was all to do, this was all to do with Amy Mann. And so like, yeah, people who I like, like her. So even if I don't like her, all the time. I feel like I, I owe uh, what she does a little more regard than just dismissal. It, that's exactly right. I It was easy, I think, for me to pre... not even prejudge, just judge. Just like put on that sort of judgy music fan hat and listen to the album through one time and think there's no there there. Mm-hmm. But I was able to take a step back from that and try to engage with each of the songs and really just appreciate what she's doing in light of, you know, the, the last album she made, which is a rocker and, you know, other things she's done. Um, she does get, she, 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 she gets a little more of my attention maybe than, than someone else would. All right. Fair enough. All right. So we'll send you uh, the listeners off. You can put this podcast on pause. Go listen to mental illness by Amy Mann. Sometimes we talk about what you should do while listening to the record. Like some records are made for exercise. Some are made for like, like lighthouse work. Some are made for administration. This is kind of a like lazy morning in bed kind of thing. Like when you don't want to get up. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's called if, mental illness, so you, you can have like a lot of vanilla ice cream to consume. <laughs> if, if you have some granola, ironing, to old do. granola, granola yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing about this album. I think, and you know, I was this is what I was going to say this earlier, and so you told me to save it, so I saved it, and I'll say it now. I think this album is better enjoyed, and maybe this is a comment on where we are musically, you know, contemporary, you know, with contemporary music. This album, as a series of discrete songs, is a better listen than an album from start to finish. Interesting. Yeah, because it doesn't necessarily have a lot of dynamic high points. It kind of gets chugging at a, you know, it's like uh, it's like middle-aged lovemaking, right? You just kind of get a, sort of a steady rhythm. I don't know why you're looking at me. I, <laughs> I would not know. That's the, all I'm going to say. On yeah, I guess subject. I guess people in middle age don't actually make love anymore. Um, all right, so go go just have a, a really uh, go have just a really chill afternoon delight session listening to. Amy Mann and uh, meet us back here to talk about it right after this word from our commercial sponsor. Matt, you know what I like about roller coasters and Ferris wheels? What What do you like about roller coasters I and Ferris wheels? I like that you like how it feels round and round until you lose yourself. In well, the air. Dave, that feels a little passive aggressive to me, but I, I, you know, that's that's uh, sounds nice. You know, I'm just saying. When you want a good time in this day and age, it's hard to do better than a carnival yep. full of roller coasters and Ferris wheels and maybe some easy organ bed to accompany the thrill. Oh, yeah, I think that's I think that's wonderful. I hate, you know, like uh, fast, exciting music at my carnivals. I only want e- easy organ music, but I'm I'm still hung up on, on this like you're happy because I'm happy thing, man. I think in our relationship, like, we need to do what you like every once in a while, you know? Could you just express an opinion? Uh, if that's what you want me to do. <laughs> Carnivals for family fights all over. For, for 250 years. <laughs> America's other favorite pastime. And we're back. So Dave, I have a question. Yes, sir. This, this Amy Mann, with her kind of measured tempo, with her, at least her play for mature sophistication and considering emotional problems, with her lack of hooks per se, with her, you know, um, very pretty, but kind of droney or sort of soporific kind of sound. Is she an adult contemporary artist? The answer is generally a qualified yes. In I, case you... I, I think she has to be on sort of age and audience alone, right? right? Yeah. So you saw Amy Mann recently. It, it was a while ago. Um, oh. It was a small venue, and I, I don't even exactly remember. I think it may have been... You know, one of those, God, Paul F. Tompkins Christmas shows or something like that. Like, oh, a, deli- at, at a delightful little Largo mm-hmm. ensemble. Okay. Um, 
And Largo, uh, for the listeners who might not know, is a venue in Los Angeles that now is at a theater in La Cienega. It's what, maybe 200, 200 seat or something like that, 250 at the outside. I think about 250, 280, yeah. And it's, they're known for two things. One is, uh, sort of the current iteration or the current, the generation of comedians who were the kind of the alternative comedians, the kind of Mark Marin generation and their progeny, um, doing comedy and for kind of acoustic, uh, acoustic rock, uh, sort Almost of shows. bluegrass, even, right? Yeah. There's this, there's, although it's so wide ranging across all of that, Largo's become such a hub for alt, whatever, yeah. whatever, like, sort of alt in, like, the middle aged alt might be, mm-hmm. right? And Sarah Silverman, Pat Oswalt, um, but you get Pete Holmes, you get Judd Apatow, right? And then on the music side, you get the Amy Manns, and you get, uh, Nickel Creek, you know, Sean Sarah Watkins, mm-hmm. uh, John Bryan, you know, just to circle back on the sort of your know, friends of friends of friends, like who they work with can right. tell you a lot about who they are. John Bryan was one of the producers on that Magnolia album. Right. And John Bryan, I, I, there was maybe a rumor, maybe it just was fun for people to speculate that he just lived at Largo. Like he lived upstairs from Largo. <laughs> so he was just always there. And so yeah. all these great musicians, Fiona Apple, Amy Mann, maybe even Gillian Welch, were in his sort of ambit. And, and he's worked with an incredible range of talents. And and so they all hold up in some way just by the association with him. I mean the the when the Spotify algorithm like continued playing at the end of the at the end of the uh, mental illness album, I like it went um, it went to another Amy Man song from the Magnolia soundtrack, and then it went to uh, a Fiona Apple song called Criminal. Um, and the first lyric is "I've been a bad bad girl," uh, and that's like. And that's very interesting because I don't consider Fiona Apple to be an adult contemporary artist. You know what I mean? She's still a rocker to me, or she's like, you know, like it's in funny. that that I, female singer songwriter from the '90s box, which is different. For no, me. And, right, and I only really know her from having seen her at Largo. Oh, there was a time where, when she was sort of working back up to going back on tour, huh. she would pop in with. Christy Ellie and Punch Brothers or with she's friends with John and Sarah and she would just do a couple of songs and they were always kind of fun like jazzy jazz standards are like very much that you know if we broadly construe the adult contemporary they weren't rock and roll songs at all yeah. they were kind of foot stomping good time old timey type songs wow. and so to me the fact that she's like a bad bad girl like that seems so distant and removed from who she is now it was, yeah she was a really angsty sort of like almost journal you know a lot harder than the Lilith Fair like right. more related to almost the kind of the female fronted punk bands of the time though at the piano like even like an even edgier Tori Amos though though I remember the the like the New Yorker review of one of her first because you know I was a teenager and I was a douchebag and so I would li- read the New Yorker and go around remembering and quoting uh, passages much as I'm about. Yeah, exactly. Like whether it was well, the New Yorker, I can't remember, but it was like. Oh, yes, was it, or, like, yes, was it David Denby or was it right, Anthony exactly. Lane yeah. who said that? Uh, what, was that this kind of like this rock and roll piano was a very kind of broken down, sort of deconstructed stride piano, like boom bap, boom bap kind of stride thing, which connects her to a kind of foot stomp and. Uh, foot stomp and all good time, but like back to the idea of Amy Mann and uh, an adult contemporary. Uh, you know, it's it, th- and this is my problem, I guess, uh, if we're going to call it that, and I think I just did of listening to the album from top to bottom uh-huh. is it's it's entirely pleasant, yeah, and it just it didn't nothing caught me because mm-hmm. it all sort of ran together and to me like in the worst sense of the word words adult contemporary is that sort of blandness right. and i think she's better than that i think she's been better than that i think when you get into the lyrics with you know maybe you know a little into the lyrics don't get too far into them where you get to mix metaphors and, and start driving yourself crazy but she's better than just a bland sort of you know background music uh-huh. Yeah, that's the thing about adult contemporary, right? Right, like it's it's a it, there's a disingenuous quality to it. It's it's a, like you want to have your you want to have your rebellion, but have it be tranquil. Well, you well, know, that's interesting. I think it's sort of maybe what the Lilith Fair hath wrought in a way. Right? Yeah, that it went from. Um, this collection of very interesting and maybe underappreciated lesser-known artists to an overproduced genre style that did all kind of meld together and sound the same 
and then it died because no one wanted to hear that. Okay, so you you kind of played a trick on me earlier today when you put on a uh, yes. you put on you put on a, a a song and said, okay, before the vocal comes in, guess if this is Amy Mann? And I would have said yes because it was it was just like the last song that we had been listening to, right? That's sort of very, yeah, like easy intro. with like a kind of do do right. do finger picky guitar and like and a, a string bed that 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 is going, but it wasn't Amy Mann. Was it? No, it wasn't it was at all. Not. It was not even close. Although, in terms of the discussion around adult contemporary becoming a sort of freestanding style, the Crash Test Dummies. Now, this was Superman song, which was the legit, you know, for the old fans. Crash Test Dummies. Right. Before, hmm, what was the, the yeah? Hum, hum, it was called hum, 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 hum. Right. Um, before they did their hum job. Right. They Before they became an adult contemporary band, right. they were just another quirky Canadian outfit singing about Superman as though, you know, he was just around the corner. Crash test dummies, bare naked ladies, Moxie Fruvis. There was a whole, like, quirky Canadian, like, almost novelty rock kind of uh, genre, right? Well, I think that's how it got sort of translated across the border. And, okay, bare naked ladies maybe sort of put the point on that a little too much, you know, through the... They were, I mean, to, to a certain extent, they were all... Like, I put them almost in the same category as Weird Al a little bit. Bare, bare naked ladies, you know? No? <sighs> I, you know, I don't want to slay a sacred cow like that. Uh, Weird Al is, is truly sort of sui generis. Like, he... Well, yeah, there you go. To compare someone to Weird Al, really, all you can do is a disservice to Weird Al. And I apologize to Mr. Yankovic unreservedly by comparing him to the Bare But it's an interesting Lady. question, right? What were the Bare Naked Ladies at that time? Because if you compare them to Moxie Fruvis, they were sort of like the alarm in U2 in the early days, right? Sure. Where, like, this was this race to be the most anthemic, you know... Irish Welsh band, you had the race to be the most sort of hilarious and sort of intellectually satisfying Canadian acapella group. Yeah. <laughs> and Crash Test Dummies just had a band, but you know, like it's not that far off. The most intellectually satisfying Canadian acapella group would be a minor victory. Well, that's, a, be well, a, that's an award they give in the, the whatever they call the camis, <laughs> right? That's a, that's actually a separate category up there. <laughs> the most rigorous, the most theoretically rigorous uh uh, acapella band. They fact check their acapella humor. I guess we were going to go to Amy Mann and we decided not to. Right? She was playing the Troubadour recently. And, uh, wasn't she? Um, maybe on tour for this album. That's interesting. I, she's always, there's someone who sees, you know, probably on average a, a concert a week when it's all said and done. Sure. She's definitely a name that crosses the radar because my wife loves her. And mm. so it's an easy one to say, oh, this will be fun. And then if it's a weeknight or it's late, it's just, it's never compelling. It's never quite compelling enough. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, okay. So, so like, let, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, let's, let's get into some of these songs a little bit, right? Like, did you hear her? She was uh, interviewed on Mark Marin. Um, you know, around the relationship. I, 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 am, I am known to, to my friends as one who does listen to Mark Maron from time to time. Right, and like Mark Maron and, and like Ryan Sheely also, you have a very full, just a voluptuous beard, you know? Thank you. I, uh, I have no control over it, but it, it is what it is. No, it's, it's one, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And as a blonde or as a former blonde, it's something that I'll never really attain. Um, uh, attain myself. Uh, so she was talking about the album and talking about the origins of some of the songs and, and talking about what she, she was trying to do on this record. Like, what, um, uh, what were your impressions? Yeah, it's of the interesting, right? Like, the, it's so, actually, you know, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take one step back. Please. Because there, to engage with this album, one, you have to reckon with the title, mm. Mental Illness. Okay. Like that's that. I don't know if it's a cry for help, but it's it's certainly putting a you know stamp on on. Is it autobiographical? Is it a statement of theme? Is it like you know? And then you look. I mean, this is what I did. Right then, I looked at the track list, and you see, okay, Goose Snow Cone. We're just going to put that one to the side for right now because it sounds disgusting, and and I'm not sure what it's about. Stuck in the past. You never loved me. You can infer some sort of love theme with roller coasters. Lies of summer. Mm-hmm. Patient Zero, Good For Me, Knock It Off. Like, it just, this is a breakup album, right? Yeah. This is my impression. Like, oh, she's still married, right? right. So a little good <laughs> on that. And seems that she she and Mr. Pan are doing fine. 
Um, based on the Marin interview, I know they still live in the same house that right. they lived in once upon a time where he would visit them. Um, and so, I, you know, as a fan of the singer-songwriter genre, which certainly overlaps extensively with the adult contemporary genre in its ways, um, you have to... You have to have your sort of ranking order of breakup albums, right? Mm-hmm. And so you blow on the tracks just holds the number one spot. But then anytime Ryan Adams releases an album, you know, maybe, uh, um, I'm trying to think of other sad. I mean, the one that surprised me this year was the, the John Wesley Harding, Wesley Stace album, mm-hmm. which he's not a guy I think of as a singer of breakup, sort of gut wrenching breakup songs. And his last album, which is not really holding himself, itself out as any sort of breakup album, to me is absolutely just a, just a devastating breakup album. Yeah. Blew me away. And so I then have to bring sort of that expectation and what I like about that to an album like this. And, and then it's not, no, it's not. It's not. So, so there, like, there's a sense of false advertising here. There's a right. sense in which like that you get taken in by the trappings of what the, well, and it's just, again, we'll come back to Dylan, but the idea that I, I don't know if this is, this is maybe not entirely correct, but, but there, for a lot of people, the anticipation of and the delivery of a solid breakup album is one of the great things in life, mm-hmm. right? Ryan's most recent album was no, it was in the works as his divorce was unfolding, and, and it was much anticipated because oh my god, Ryan's got another breakup album coming. Another breakup album, yeah. This is the this many more breakup. So great, right? Um, and so even without that background here, to look at this and think, oh, this if this is going to be a breakup album. This will be a fun ride. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a ride at all because it's not a break. I mean, I don't know if it's because it's not a breakup album. Yeah. So it's it, the sort of peaks and valleys of a good breakup uh, uh, disc um, are missing here, right? This is sort of, it's a very gentle sort of boat ride through, uh, you know, and this I'll take from the Marin interview. Characters she's drawn and yeah. stories she's created. Right. It's the model, it's a kind of sketchbook kind of model of a record rather than like a kind of personal sort of autobiography kind of model of the record, right? Yeah. And, and so. Whereas with Blood on the Tracks, you feel like, uh, you know, and that's the one, I mean, that's the big one, and that's the one that, that got me through my recent breakup, and the, the like, just you feel like every, it's almost like a diamond, right? It's like there's a facet, each, each song is kind of a facet where it's examining one aspect, whether it's like anger or loneliness or, you know, loss or whatever. Like, this is not that. This is, they're kind of unrelated to each other and they're kind of, uh, uh, lumped together through the theme of mental illness, right? Right, 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 right. And it, it just, it, it plays with that sort of expectation or that excitement to not get Taken on a ride like that. And so to have to, you know, to wait, I, I feel like in a way I was passively listening for starters and nothing jumped. Um, I like the sketchbook idea. It makes me wonder if, to what extent artists are releasing albums because that's what they know and that's what they do when these songs might have actually stood up better released on their own over a period of time. Yeah. Which is what Weird Al did with Mandatory Fun, right? Like, before that record dropped, it, like, there was a week where every day there was a new video, and it was like, they're not even, they're separate events. Right. You know what I mean? They're not even, uh, they're not even, like, they don't even need to be related to each other, and each thing was kind of a media event on its own with a different video with different guest stars and, you know, stuff like that. Just this incredible... Um, just this sort of incredible production. I mean, yeah, that's an, that's an interesting thing, right? Like, because you have an artist like, like, uh, like her with a huge deep catalog. You, you gotta imagine when she plays live, she doesn't play this whole record. I mean, maybe it predominates because of, uh, maybe it predominates because this is the new album and it's what she's selling, but like. That's an interesting question. You know, it, w- it was interesting to me on Marin that she played. I want to say patient zero, but now I'm not, I can't remember. Um, but it, but, but she was, she played it because it was the one she knew. Right. It wasn't, Oh, we've played all these and this is the one with just me and the guitar. It's like, this is the one I've got. Yeah. Maybe she hasn't been touring this record yet. And, and, and so it only adds to that idea that I have that these are kind of discrete moments that have been kind of stitched together. Yeah. 
for convenience. Yeah, I mean that's that's interesting. Like the promise not delivering is an interesting idea, right? Like the the and what an album promises when mm-hmm. it when when you listen to the. Uh, when you listen to it, like Tori Amos's Boys for Pele promises human sacrifice, right? And, uh, you know, depending on who your friends were when you were a teenager and that album came out, you might actually have, have gotten a little bit of that. And I feel like mental illness, if you, if you sort of say, oh, this has the look and feel, this has kind of the shape of a breakup album, or like even just the idea of mental illness, like we, have, there are two discourses about mental illness. One is a, like a hyperclinical one that's, that's a like DSM-5 definitions and, you know, diagnosis codes and medications and, and sort of things like this and an associated political discourse around access to medical care and things like this. The other is like a personal narrative. The other is like a moth story slam, right? Like, oh, this is mental illness. This is my battle with depression or this is my, you know, sort of journey through a bipolar illness or like what, you know what I mean? Like whatever the uh, uh, personal story happens to be. And, and it ain't like, it ain't that. Right, you know? right. Well, and it's funny now, like, now that I'm sort of considering this as a whole, and this idea that maybe it's not an album. I think it is an album. I think it has to be considered as an album. The the title of the album is not a track on the album, right? Which which means something, right? Yeah. It means something to me as as someone who grew up with albums, right? That, like it is it is all of a kind, and and that she looked at these songs and gave them. A, a title together. A theme, yeah. This is what, like, this is the folder, right, that they're all right. in. As she, right. like, files these these MP3s away on her computer, this is what she calls the, uh, uh, this is what she well, calls it. It's funny, too, right? That's the story, If I guess we'll get to where we were going to get, about Goose Snowcon. Right. Um, which is that it was a placeholder. Right. right. That the title is there because she had a song and she had an idea and she wrote the song always thinking, I'll come up with something else. Yeah. And, and then, and I, I'm not suggesting that this is wrong or bad or lazy. I think it's a, it, it's actually a compelling title and it, yeah. it does kind of make you think, which is what I want songs to do. And there are a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of things like that in the history of music. There's a famous Beatles one. There's a famous Paul one. Isn't it Hey Jude or something like that? Or something in Hey Jude maybe is the na-na-na-na-na part or something like that where he's like, no, this is just temp. These are just temp right. lyrics. Right. You know, and John was like, no, I think this is brilliant. You know, and the... the Werewolves of London has a story like that. Yeah. Where they were playing around. Uh-huh. And... Um, it's, it's it's one. This is also what happens to an artist like Zevon, who's so deep and so sort of rich in his sort of body of work that he's known for a joke song that they just sort of busted out in the studio. And I think his ex, his wife, uh, I want to say Crystal, was there, and they were just like rollicking along with this riff. And somebody asked, you know, where that came from, and they said we just made it up. And and she wrote it down because no one had written it down and preserved what they had created spontaneously. As I think his most famous song. Sure. That I mean, that is an interesting thing. That like, as a musician, as a creator, you're not necessarily the best judge, right. right? Of what is what is of lasting value of what you do because like what you have is like how it feels to you, you know. And that's not necessarily the thing. I mean, let's talk about let's talk about Goose Snow Cone. Looking into the face, and, and this is like so. Goose Snow Cone is a reference to like an Instagram picture of her friend's cat. Right, and that uh, that she was looking at that. The cat's name is Goose, and he had a white puffy face, and it looked like a snowball. Right, and so he's the Goose Snowcomb. Um, this is almost unbelievably cutesy, and makes me want to punch a cat in the face by uh, for the the like the cutesiness of of it. Um, but like, I think it was supposed to be. I think I think it was supposed to be uh, supposed to be changed. Right, like. Should be should be shaking it loose, but you do it alone. Every look is a truce, and it's written in stone, right? Like this, this what? Where? Where this, are we? This is the problem that I started to have as I got into this album and found myself enjoying it more. Right. Was listening to the lyrics and confronting this complexity that spoke to a depth that wasn't there. Yeah. Um, the 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 lyric about. Um, the the origami crow. Uh-huh. I thought I saw at my feet an origami crow. It was only the street hidden under the snow. Uh-huh. That's a fine couplet. I don't know what the hell it means. No. And always snatching defeat. It's the devil I know. 
the, the metaphors are all mixed up again, and I, I, there's an, it's, it's imagistic in a way that's nice, but again, it doesn't really hold up to much analysis. Yeah, in one, in like in one, well, yeah, you like me, you're an English major, right? Like, and in one, you know, the idea is to kind of establish your metaphor system and then cash out the uh, cash out the like. Things like the famous one is Shakespeare's, you know, went to the sessions of sweet silent thought. I summon up remembrance of things past. He's taught it is a reference to session judicial sessions, like court is now in session. Um, and like a circuit judge who used to ride around so called because they used to ride around on a circuit, uh, you know, having court in uh, different, um, you know, how you know, how hosting to host a trial, like presiding at trials, uh, in, in a dispersed geographic area. Um, and you summon up the way you summon a witness to the stand. And so this is like Shakespeare sort of uh, establishing the metaphor system and cashing it out. When to the sessions of sweet, silent thought, I summon up, as a witness, remembrance of things past. Now, okay, looking into the face of, a, of the goose snow cone should be shaking it loose, but you do it alone. Not, not, uh, not quite sure where we are, where we're located, right? Or every look... Is a truce. Look, I can I can make this uh, a song about loneliness post breakup because I'm going to stick with this with this sort of trope. Whether it, the, the album will no, just stand just up keep pumping that piano key. Um, and it's just it. You have to do. I have to do too much work to to the lyrics here to make them fit. You know my idea of what they mean, and maybe that's okay. I mean, maybe that's you know that's what art does; it makes you think and makes you sort of form an opinion about it. But I don't, I don't trust my sort of my opinion. I don't trust my interpretation of this because these metaphors are just a little too jumbled. Yeah, um, sonically, the song starts with bells, like or a tambourine or something like that. Some kind of like you know metal percussion sort of thing. Ching, ching, ching. Ching. And then the the like the finger p- picking starts, um, and so there's there's a sense like I cannot hear that sound without thinking like sleigh bells, Santa, Christmas music, and so there was like sonically before the lyrics even started. I guess I knew it was called snow. It had snow in yeah, the title, yeah, yeah. right? Like that. This was like a Christmas. This was a Christmas song. Uh, Merry Christmas. Your gift is crippling loneliness and isolation. <laughs> right. You know, you can't do uh, uh, yeah, you can't do anything except you got to keep it together when you're um, when your friends come by. It's and maybe this is just true of this album in a nice way. It's <laughs> a simple song. Yeah, it's got some imagery and you know maybe some metaphoric complexity to it but looking at the lyrics just on the page it's a simple song yeah and it sort of eases you into this very slow journey that follows right I, I feel like what the, the moments when this album is more it's uh, most itself is not is some of the like the inarticulate singing is some of the like ooh kind of stuff and even like the the lyrics look into the face of a goose snow coat you know what i mean there's this kind of like elongated vowels yeah. um that like the pure o or the oo sound like that this is that this is actually more where this thing lives in a kind of like soothing no i think that's right i think that's the the very sort of nature of this album is it's just a sustained sort of like Meditation, a sort of oh, um, <laughs> it's a little higher than that. It's less, it's less didgeridoo and more, <laughs> I don't know, pump organ. Uh-huh. But but it does. It has that just and and so what started to come out where the album started to separate, where the songs started to separate for me was on the songs that were more heavily just a guitar, just singing a guitar or a piano, like a distinctive piano that wasn't sort of softened into a bed of strings or organ. Yeah. Um, but overall, the impression is still very much just that, you know, for yeah. 40 whatever minutes, right? Um, yeah, which is, you know, it's a pretty good session of meditation, right? For someone, for someone in the modern world who's used to like the stimulation of phones and Things like this, like a forty-minute, uh, forty-minute meditation, is is good. I mean, I wonder if there's something like throwbacky about that length because that's you know it could fit on an LP, right? And a lot of like, especially streaming albums, have no physical limitations 
uh, at all. So you can do like a real use your illusion one and two kind of. That's um that's a, a fascinating and and maybe sort of cynical at least as I as I mull the idea. Right, I'm thinking merch booth now. Ah. Oh, if we're gonna tour this album, we're gonna have to sell it on vinyl, right? Because the kids want the vinyl these days. By kids, I mean you know 48 year old hipsters who uh-huh. are going to the shows and have turntables in their office. Uh-huh. Um, and so let's make sure we fit onto two or four sides, depending on you know how much we want to sell it for. All right, so let's pull up AmyMan.com <laughs> on my computer right now. Oh, it has the. The background of amyman.com is uh, the, the little creature, whatever that, the little like uh, Ewoky kind of creature from the cover of the album who is sort of alone uh, in the forest, sort of isolated, but also like seems to radiate light, whereas the kind of gloomy and ominous environment uh, all around the creature. And yes, indeed, you can buy the Amy Man Mental Illness LP plus t-shirt plus tote bag plus bandana plus limited edition psychological art therapy cards bundle uh, for $75. That's the top uh, that's the top price. The LP by itself on, ooh, Fire Engine Red Vinyl is uh, is 25 Two sides or four? Two sides. You know, but and it comes in a, a kind of decorative slip cover, uh, actually sort of pretty cool, uh, pretty cool decorative slip cover, sort of um, like a Russian nesting doll album set of album covers and things like this. Let's see. The T-shirt has the creature on it. Uh, the bandana is is sort of a, a variation on... on oh, it's on sale. You did not mention that it's on sale. Oh, yeah. It's marked a, down. Marked down from 85. Yes. Uh, well, that's... Yeah, that's the bundle pricing. Just, you know, purchase separately. These items would run you $85. Something like that, yeah. I like limited edition psychological... Uh, psychological art therapy cards. Where do you come down on the idea of kind of music as therapy or music as catharsis or healing? You know, because you get the sense that like in breakup albums, that's the name of the game. Oh, totally. I think, and that's always been the sort of, um, you know, the essential quality of the blues, right? Playing the blues, listening to the blues is meant to sort of take you out of the blues, right? right? Um, So I, I mean, I buy it. I think it can misfire horribly. (laughs) But but there's no doubt that there is a healing and a sort of emotionally grounding quality to to it doesn't have to be good music, it has to be music that you connect to. Yeah, it has to be cathartic music, right, somehow. But there are two right, like there are two kinds of um there are two kinds of like blues, right? Like one is one is a breakup, like you're gonna get over a breakup, right? Like one hopes. Like the the kind of the normal progression is that you you know, you like uh, purge it and it's gone. Um, then there's sort of the condition of being like poor and black in the South and singing the blues. And it's like, that's not going away, right? Like the social oppression isn't going away. Or, you know, mental Ill- illness, like a sort of uh, uh, something that you live with day to day, an aspect of your, of, you know, the way your mind is composed is not going away. So, okay, absolutely. And, and it's funny, like there's, I, I I did not mean to sort of create a false equivalence. No, 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 I got you. But it's interesting that like, there's the, um, there's the musician and the sort of beneficial experience of playing the music and providing the music. Right. And then there's the listener experience, which, you know, I'm a listener. I'm not a musician. So it's all from that side. Yeah. And there's been enough of, you know, exploitive co-opting of both mentally ill and you know disadvantaged, otherwise disadvantaged musicians through time. That I, I think that's a part of that's got to be a part of the uh, you know the experience, or at least you know if, if you're concerned and, and and connecting to the music, it's a question of what are you connecting to, and and you know what are the benefits that that the musician is getting in terms of like you know are they being compensated properly, or are they being you know if if they're fresh musicians struggling with you know, depression or addiction issues, like are, there's, there's help to be had. And so I think that's now it's 
But yeah, much more public like, private conversation. It was um, who was I listening to on Marin? Oh, Anne Hathaway was on Mark Marin. She was talking about Judy Garland because she's apparently a huge Judy Garland aficionado uh, and wants to play her in some some upcoming project. And she was talking about how she was just pumped full of pills and things just to like get her upright. Whereas she wanted like there were a couple times in her life where she was like, no, don't make me perform. I you know I would rather stay and recuperate or whatever. Like, but she just got it, you know, they, they, she was too big a business and the people got it done. So this is an interesting, I mean, this is an interesting thing. And like the, the, the idea of kind of ethical culpability, right? Or if it's like, or if this is not, you know, uh, do a portion of the proceeds go to the, the, like the care and help of the people who are the sketch subjects in this, you know, who made these cards and and who benefits from the art therapy, mental illness, art cards. Yeah. That is definitely the most, uh, the most interesting part of the, um, God, no, it's terrible. I'm of sorry. the box set, I'm we're going to put a link to the box set in the show featuring notes. Featuring psych, I did not. I did, they're not what I what I expected. So I'm going to read this just so you know exactly what they are. Um, they feature psychological tests to help you discover how you view yourself and how you think others see you. This is where it gets good in the sort of my cynical, you know, vinyl sort of assumption. With the option to share your art and findings with Amy and her fans. What? Yes, you can share your problems after you purchase a way to share your problems from AmyMan.com. I mean, I feel like sort of the sharing of grievance, though, is a hallmark of this kind of... It, it, it's a hallmark so of this kind of... intended or not intended? Because <laughs> I think there's a, there's a, there's a you know, business line there. A hallmark, right. But yeah. so, you know, what I sort of flashed on in this discussion is um, Jason Isbell. Yeah. Um, famously sort of sober, recovered, and, you know, healthy through... Um, actually, the help of Ryan Adams and, and Amanda Shires, his wife, I think, who staged this intervention. But in one in this song that he wrote about his wife, um, "Cover Me Up," uh, has the line, um, "I sobered up, I swore off that stuff forever this time," and it's it's an applause line. Like it's yeah. a, and and it's always a little like I don't know. That's a soul bearing, not in search of that sort of approval. And it's always to me this uncomfortable moment when, like, you get the rah rah crowd sort of cheering that on. Yeah. I, and there's also there's something maybe like ironic or even a little bit fragile about that, right? Like because his the thing about about Jason Isbell's songs is they convey this sense of fragility or this sense of kind of like ad hoc. You know, every resolution is only as long as you can manage to keep it together. It's not a, he's not a triumphalist kind of songwriter. He's a songwriter about the kind of like the beautiful frailty of life. No, that's right. Words and, and all. For yeah. Sure. And that's, and that's so like a little bit like forever this time, like my, knowing, so. it's, yeah. it's, it's aspirational. It's not, it's not declarational. Exactly. Yeah. And that like to get the, yeah, to get the kind of, the kind of screamy thing. Jason Isbell, by the way, for the listeners on tour with the Mountain Goats this summer, um, I'm so excited because we are going to, there's a Mountain Goats album coming out in uh, about a month's time and we're going to get to talk about it on this show. Uh, it's rare that we actually get to talk about a Mountain Goats album when it, when it comes out that we've done some in, in, uh, in retrospectives. And for the second half of the Goths, uh, the, the record is called Goths. For the second half of the Goths tour, Isabel is going to be, um, uh, opening up for, I think, opening for John Darnielle. Uh, and it's another... No, you think the other way around? I don't know who's a bigger deal, That's man. Like, I, Or maybe they're co-headlining I, the way that Alanis Morissette and Tori Amos did in, in uh, 1998 and or And the Truckers and Hold, Hold Steady did. In, oh, yeah. Whatever, right? They switched off every night. I went to Jones Beach for that show, by the way, with my uh, with my college, my first college girlfriend. And we got, like, from Penn Station, you got, like, uh, uh, Long Island Railroad plus a shuttle bus on one ticket for a price. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go out, and um, Tori Amos played first, thank goodness, because I didn't want to sit through Alanis in order to see Tori Amos. And then, you know, I was like, hey, let's walk out. We can, even if we have to hoof it back to the station. Turns out that enough people streamed out of the Jones Beach Amphitheater. Yeah, that they fired up a couple shuttle buses. That's that's always, this is a a total sort of digression here, but that's sort of the problem in co-headlining, especially in, in this country, I think. I, I watch footage of festivals in Europe and marvel at 
the the attention and knowledge like every fan seems to be hanging on every word of every act uh-huh. and then you come here and they do these co-headlining and everyone's just trying to figure out who's going on first so they know when to show up and when they can leave right exactly um, Bob Schneider did that with um, Shelby Lynn I think uh-huh. many years ago and it was the same sort of thing like I would like to see a couple of her songs but hopefully she's opening so that you know I can see mostly his set and they switch it up and we so the, scurried to get there on time you can yeah exactly you can roll in late you can roll in late from dinner let's talk about, let's talk about a couple, uh, another couple songs before we wrap up what's um, what's uh uh, what stuck out to you? I mean, the, the uh, Goose Snow Cone and Patient Zero were the were the singles. Did Patient Zero do anything to you? You know, uh, that's a good question. Sorry, I'm gonna have to sort of look up, look it up. And no, so we, we, the, uh, we're always looking at the the lyrics on Genius, and and basically we just use the interpretive notes from Genius too. That's the only way we have a uh, we have a podcast. I mean, I feel like I, I you know. Th- it's the other single, so we should we should probably talk about it. Like patient zero is a sort of uh, pathological sort of phrase, right? Like uh, from epidemiology right. that like you know this is the the vector that brought the disease into a population, you know, and that like this this patient zero is a uh, is kind of a psychological patient zero. And and this is one of the songs that she wrote with Jonathan Colton, I think. Mm-hmm. Right, there were three. And uh, this this song, the lyrics caught me. Like there were some lines that I re- that kind of stuck, and that that I remembered kind of you know go- going back and paying more attention to because I liked the turn of phrase. Now again, I don't know how well they ultimately held up. Poor Judge was another one. I think the, it was the piano on that one that mm-hmm. that also just the song sat a little bit, but. Um, this, the line about you know when you're the guy pulling focus, there are people who will wish you weren't there. Uh-huh. Um, again, it speaks to this sort of I don't know apartness, loneliness, right? That 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 uh, um, is probably this mental illness, this this sort of. Uh, I don't know if it's depression or, or, or you know, this yeah, state kind of, of working, being alone, right? right? Like the, the bridge of the song is, you know, go west, young man, go west, take a real screen test. Uh, doesn't count as a job well done. The locusts had their day, a reference to Day of the Locust. Uh, the suckers pay and pay. Um, uh, Carmen Sternwood probably pull that trigger for fun, uh, which is from um, uh, The Big Sleep. Uh, so th- this is about like Los Angeles. This is like this yeah, is yeah. the Los Angeles right. song, you know. That's what right. I mean? And like, like the lights of the canyon, like the way the sort of refrain that ends the song, very much like that. The canyon, whether it's the Counting Crows or you know just the sort of Topanga Canyon sound, like that's uh-huh. like, forever the Los Angeles kind of you know easy reference point. One right? more day up in the canyon, yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> when Ryan and I did uh, did August, August and everything yeah. after, yeah, I was putting it on like nonstop in uh, in the in the office, and uh, and the first couple spins, Dave was like, "Oh, really?" And then like by the, I feel like by the end of the week, we were all really into it. Oh, no, it's know? a great album, and and and, and, and to be fair. Um, Long September is not on no. August, right? That's sort of... It's on Recovering the Satellites. That was his sort of... When he... I don't want to talk about the crows, but like there was that sadness, that sort of existential sadness became sort of his thing, it felt like, by mm-hmm. that album. And so it's it, that's where I go whenever canyons or crows are mentioned. But no, that album, I, I, I do think that album holds up. What do, you, what do you think about, about the kind of like the price of fame or like entertainment business as a metaphor for all the maladies of life uh, kind of songwriting, right? Like it's it's pervasive. It's it's a hard one. It's, it's, it's like a recovery song or a relationship song. Like you, I think as an artist... You have to temper sometimes, I would think as an artist, I would want to temper sometimes the instinct to wear that on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, and part of it is because the there's an instinct to hear that and look at someone like Adam Duritz, look at the Counting Crows and think, oh, good God, cry me a fucking river. You know? Right, like, right. I'm sorry that you're so rich and lonely. <laughs> but, you know, like it, it was an essential truth to him. I, I don't doubt that. I think that... Um, and there, that was also like again at the birth of adult adult contemporary in that way, right? There was sure. a steamroller that like, Tracy Chapman, like there were people who just got sort of crushed under the popularity of of what they 
you know, what they were, you know, instrumental in creating. It's a modernist move, right? Like, it's a, it's a night, like, between the wars, like, 1920s kind of move to sort of make artistic creation a metaphor for all kinds of, all kinds of life. And it's kind of the roots of some of our, our ideas of, like, life is performance or authenticity is performance, you know. But I, I just, you're gonna, like... You're going to throw some more Shakespeare, right? You're just <laughs> dying. There's a poor player who struts and frets his hour it's upon the stage. Yeah. Um, the, this, would, can this cockpit hold the vasty fields of France? Um, the, the, but, like, to, a little bit, it's, like, workplace... It's like a workplace comedy, right? Like, it's, once once the entertainment business is your workplace, like, that's your day-to-day, and that's kind of your experience and what you have to talk about, you know? And, and there's also, this has changed over the last, what, 20-some-odd years, but the kind of interest out of remove of, you know, the 90s versus the TMZ-fueled, you know, every celebrity move is a news story, is reality TV, is potential, you know, success, fame, profit, whatever. Like, that's that's a change that's happened where I think watching it from outside, the it, I would be, I'm far more cynical of that move now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of sad and, and, and a little too revealing when, when, the, when Adam sort of became the guy who everything was a reflection on his fame and, and, and you know, that sort of misery, that existential misery of his. Um, for what it wasn't, it, yeah. for, it wasn't, there was no reality TV. It wasn't being driven by anything more than sort of what he had to say. Yeah. A little, I, I mean, a little bit to bring it back to Amy Mann. I think it's, it's actually quite an achievement that she hasn't necessarily become associated with that, right? With the idea, she lives in Los Angeles, but she's not, I, she's not one of these like Los no. Angeles people. And she's married to Michael Penn. I mean, she like, they are this sort of celebrity power couple. Sure. She says on Marin that he's a hermit or a recluse, right? Yeah. So they're yeah, and you know, all that he does is go shopping and then do the cooking for the two of them, right? Like and, in and the family, they each had that moment. I, I honestly don't remember. You could probably tell me. I could look it up when they were the sort of it thing. Uh-huh. Their music, their song was the hit song. She's had a couple of those moments, I think. But but um, they, I don't know that they're even sort of regarded is a couple in that way, right? They, they don't really, they've worked together, but they don't go out and sort of hold themselves out as this couple that are, you know, this sort of success story and then they make music together. They just happen to both be musicians who seem to live a quiet sort of life in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I, just as a counterexample, take Lana Del Rey, any of whose albums uh, could be called Mental Illness, but in the more autobiographical <laughs> sense. And she's very, very much in, like, oh, you know, oh, the vapidity of Hollywood. Oh, the kind of the, like, the... Uh, the the emptiness underneath the beautiful surfaces. Oh, the kind of uh, almost kind of like gothic crumbling uh, up in the up in the hills. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it is so hard to be full of nothing sitting by the pool at the Chateau Marmont right. pool, right? right? Like in one of those in one of those nice bungalows around the corner. That's interesting. The the nature the the sort of the way in which that caricature is projected as a reality. Um, yeah, is very much a, a no, know, an essential I mean, part of the LA story. Yeah, it pisses me off though because, like, having been fr- you know being from here, my my Los Angeles isn't that right. Like, it's a sort of polyglot, like highly immigrant. You know, you get that's why all the restaurants are so good, right? Because like. You know, everything is, uh, you know, hey, hey, we invented. You like, that took some time, right? All the restaurants are so good now because I think LA figured out how to take what it was given and and actually cook with it, right? Right. Where for years and years it was just steaks, chopped seafood, and it was, the restaurants were horrible here. Uh, Or awesome, but in a horrible way. Right. Um,. Yeah. All right. So, so uh, let's just let's uh, let's wrap up with this with the song. Anything or anything you want to? Uh, oh, here come the judge. I, there's here come something the judge. about poor judge that I can't quite. And maybe because it's the send off and the album ends with it, and and so it's it, I was more aware of it as the, as the sort of you know, the 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 songs ran out, but it. It was one that I came back to uh, a number of times, maybe just as a lawyer, it speaks to my essential sort of, you know, 
uh, educational. But core. okay, so let's 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 go from the beginning. Falling for you was always falling up. I see. That's some E. Cummings level shit there, right? Uh, anyone live in a pretty how town without floating so many bells down? I see what you did there, Amy. Leather books and surplus government chairs. Okay, different image universe. I rose like smoke or the steam from your cup. All right, these are things that should be going up, not things that are falling in the wrong direction. Uh, a wave of heat where the lighter flares. And that's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of typical of the like, um, incoherent metaphorical yeah. system. Yeah, yeah, but again, I can create an image out of this, uh-huh. right? Like this is this is a reading room in in some sort of cozy dated mansion, right? Uh-huh. With a fireplace and a pipe and you know probably tea. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It's it's dilapidated, right? The surplus government chairs. I it, it, maybe it's an office, but there's something about the uh, the the leather the leather books. I'm not maybe because I'm averse to this image. I'm not picturing a law library right. so much as like somebody's reading room. Uh huh. Or yeah, uh, a fancy public library, maybe the New York Public Library or something like. I don't know. It feels very personal, right? The the sort of that it's, it starts with this image of falling for you. Um, it, it feels more private than that. It could be an office, but, it, but I, my sort of, I went to like a house, a, sure, something, yeah. something more intimate. I gotcha. Um, all right. So then that's uh so, so that's the verse. And, and the refrain is my heart is a poor judge. Uh, and it harbors, it harbors an old grudge. I mean, what as, you know, as a send off or as a, you know, as a song by itself, as the kind of like the piano, uh, uh, the kind of the, the, Soft rocker, and by rocker I mean uh, holding your knees in a fetal yeah, position, yeah, yeah. like right, rocking right, back and right. forth, and or just a chair. It could just be a chair that you know lets you sort of do that motion, yeah, absolutely in a more socially acceptable manner. That kind of that, yeah, that like uh, that self-stimulating, like self-comforting uh, uh, motion. What what uh, what what were some of your thoughts about it? It's this it, the I, I'm almost I'm now finding them. The crazy mix of metaphors almost endearing. Mm-hmm. Right? As I as I read some of the stuff that that I liked and that that sort of stuck with me, helped me overlook the fact that the walk off a cliff was a dream of a car with the brake lines cut. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you know there's a lot of motion, but it doesn't really hang together. And and so there's a dreaminess to it. I think at the end of the day that that's. Uh, it's captivating. Oh, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Like, there's a logic. I mean, yeah, okay. So, like, in that first stanza, what you were saying, there's, like, a logic of, like, heat. There's a logic of, kind of, things rising. Uh, you know, there's a logic of, sort of, uh, a sort of coziness in that, like, the associations. It works, sort of, associatively rather than working in a strictly literal or, kind of, literal metaphorical, you know, a rigorously metaphorical uh, uh, manner. And, and that is, I mean, that is definitely an artistic move, right? That you can make. She, and I didn't, I didn't realize this until just now. And I like this. Um, this is, this, this is reminiscent of another song that maybe will come to me, but she, she flips the script at the end, right? Yeah. It's, it's this, my heart is a poor judge. Uh-huh. And, and that's the, you can, you can pick any number of songs about bad choices made in relationships, but, the the before the last refrain, it's your heart is a poor judge, mm-hmm. and so we're in this together. Where we, you know, it's not just her mistake when it's all said and done. Yeah, um, and and whatever the old grudge is, uh, I haven't I haven't sort of gotten that far with the analysis of it, but it just it rhymes with judge, so yeah. you know it, it works as a you know as an idea about kind of hanging on to to bad choices and and uh, you know a. a both dreamy and captivating, but very much up and down past. I mean, what makes a judge poor, right? Like, it, a judge is poor in the like the legal sense when the judge is not impartial, right? When the judge is not disinterested. But here, it's sort of like uh, the judge's discer- the judge's judgment, right? Like the judge is not discerning in the proper way. What's interesting that's that, that's certainly how I was hearing it. But now I'm thinking about the surplus government chairs, uh-huh. and I'm wondering if it's just a impecunious judge of some sort. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I just can't afford nice stuff. Yeah, it ends on a note of I can see your light on calling me back to make the same mistake again, and this is sort of true of life, uh, and it's it it's sort of a nice ending that like 
there's not a resolution. It's just like it, it just continues in this state of tension, uh, you know, of, of sort of me, you, what I know about you, uh, the idea that a relationship is a bad idea and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and we, we're lonely and we reckon with how we deal with that from time to time in, in ways that ultimately we might regret or we know we shouldn't indulge. Yeah, that's a true statement about, about us, you and me, but also the song is about we're lonely and we're talking do- about you. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's leave this podcast in a productive state of tension. Dave, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. I hope that I did right by Ryan in his absence and did right by you in your presence. Absolutely, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear uh, in the comments on the show notes. Uh, what you what you think? I'll re- relay them to uh, to our friend Dave. Uh, thank you for listening, and until next time, keep it real.